written and how it correlates with other parts of Scripture, but it's hard to pinpoint a date. While we may not be able to be dogmatic about that time frame, we can certainly use other portions of Scripture to give us an idea of when it was written. A lot of authors, and I kind of hold to this, look at about 840 to 825 B.C., And we'll look at that later on. But in this book, God deals with a nation, the nation of Edom, their issue of pride. God speaks through this prophet and delivers a very stern message of judgment and destruction for the entire nation as a whole. As well as any other nation that deals harshly with God's chosen people, Israel. You see, God commands us to to pray and be an ally to the nation of Israel. And it pains me, especially the last few months, we've seen these attacks going on in Israel and American politicians and Americans in general coming out against the nation as a whole. The Bible says, I will bless those that bless my people. And they are still God's chosen people to this day. You see, in this book, God deals with an issue of pride, but God also deals with the downfall of a nation. And the result of that downfall was their own pride, arrogance, and mistreatment of God's chosen people. If you track Edom's lineage, if they were to go out and purchase an Ancestry.com kit, they would be traced back to a brother of a very important Bible character. They'd be traced back to the man Esau and his brother Jacob. And the story goes, Esau and Jacob were caught fighting in the womb. They were twin brothers, and they were caught fighting in the womb, and they've been at odds with each other ever since. If you track the lineage of of Esau, you get to this nation of Edom. You may remember that he was a son of Isaac. Genesis 25, I don't think I gave this to the people there, but Genesis 25, verse 21. And Isaac, entreating the Lord for his wife, because she was barren, and the Lord was entreating of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And when she... And she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were two twins in her womb, and the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came out his brother, his second, And his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob, and Jacob sawed pottery. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, in that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. It's an interesting story, tracing these two twin brothers. If you read the story, you'll see that Esau was a great hunter. He was known to being outside all the time, to be hunting. He said it would be a hairy individual, the Bible says. And he comes back home, and he's hungry. And his brother, probably a good cook, had had a bowl of soup ready to go, and he was going to eat that. And Esau sold his entire birthright. The things he was, he was designed to receive from his father, all the finances, all the wealth, all the popularity, all the prestige, all the position, he forfeited for some food. 
And from that point on, he was called Edom. So we see the background of this nation. But I want to look in the first four verses at their pride, the pride of Edom. Verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, and thou art greatly despised. Not seeing a very encouraging message from God yet, how we? God sends his ambassador, God sends his prophet to say, You are to be hated. You are small among the heathen. You are nothing even to the world, and I am come up against you. Why? Because, verse 3, the pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the cleft of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? Thou, that thou exalteth thyself as the eagle, and though thou shalt set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If you track the nation of Edom, you'll find their, desire, their design was to build habitat in the rocks. They're still standing today. If you've seen the pictures of the fortress of Petra in Jordan, that was one of the capital cities of Edom. Still there today, and they were known to be a very proud people because of the position military they had. They said some of those cities never were taken because of their position. And God's coming at them and saying, your pride as a people because of your position both physically in the mountains, but also they've put themselves on a pedestal above others, has brought me against you. Makes me think of this. Pride is one of those few things in the Bible that God will not stand for. If you look at stories in the Old Testament, I was talking with Dad this week about this. You look at David. Towards the end of his life, David was a man after God's own heart. His pride got the better of him, and he said, I will number the people. Doesn't sound like a bad thing. All of us here, if we were in charge of the nation, we'd say, I'd kind of like to know how many people I have. It's kind of a strategic thing. It's an economic thing. I want to know. But God had specifically said, don't. So David goes and numbers the people, and who knows what, who remembers what the result of that sin is. 70,000 people died. 70,000, that's Morgan County three times over, died because of the sin of pride. You see, Satan was cast out of heaven because of the sin of pride. He exalted himself to be like God, and God did not stand for it. And you see, God does not stand for pride in anyone's life. So we see the pride of Edom, but look at verse 5, we see the destruction of Edom. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? This is referencing a time when Jerusalem is sacked. When Israel is sacked and taken captive, Edom stood by and laughed them to scorn. The whole purpose of this book is to bring back to their memory that fateful day where they stood on the mountainside and laughed at their brothers and sisters as they were taken off into captivity. Not only that, Edom raided the cities and picked them clean. <coughs> the verse says, would not have, would they not have stolen till they had enough? Would they not have just gone in and taken 
a little bit. Well, they not have left some, but Edom picked it dry. Verse 6, how are the, how are the things of Esau searched out? <coughs> how are his hidden things sought up? All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith to the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Timon, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. You see, God's prophesying their coming destruction. God's prophesying that because of your pride, you will be cut off by the people you trusted. Verse 10, for thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day, that day that they were taken captive, in the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou waste as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on in the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of thy calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. See, Obadiah lays out a list of grievances that God has with them. You stood by and laughed in their scorn. You raided their place. You cut them off from escape and you turned people back into the arms of the enemy. Makes me think of this. I'm glad when I go to heaven, God's not going to lay out a list of grievances against me makes me happy that the day I got saved, I was five. I was talking with Gary about it today. He was out here. I jumped on him at about 10 o'clock at night. Those who know Gary, he's in bed at nine. Not very happy if you wake him up, but he was happy that night. But on that day when I was five, I remember that God took it all away. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, he took that list of grievances and cast it out. It no longer matters to him. But you see, the children of Edom never did that. The children of Edom never turned to God. So God lays out this list of grievances. (coughs) And look at 15. Here's a transition period. So we see the pride of Edom. We see the destruction of Edom. And now look at the example of Edom. You see, every part of Scripture has an application that can help us in our day-to-day walk. And verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. You see a transition that Obadiah does. He goes from speaking to a specific individual to the entire group of unbelievers. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. (coughs) For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be 
deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau bush stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken. And they of the south shall possess the mound of Esau, and they of the plains of the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall be possessed of shall possess Gilead and the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites even unto Zarephath and the captivity of Jerusalem which is in Shepard shall possess the cities of the south and Savior shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau and the kingdom shall be no more. You see God has a saying. God ends his saying with this. I win every time. He wins every time. You fast forward almost 900 years later in 70 AD when Jerusalem is sacked and the temple destroyed. The the kingdom of Edom is attacked as well. And they cease to exist as a nation after that. You see, 900 years later, God fulfills his prophecy here in this book. God fulfills his promises, and it makes me think that God never forgets what he promises to us. If God has promised you something, and he has, he will fulfill it. God never forgets us. God never forsakes us. He will always fulfill his promises, but he also has to fulfill his righteous judgment. So when we as people struggle with these things, when we as people struggle with the sin of pride that Edom did, we can either stay like Edom and live in our pride or we can repent from it and get better. You see, I'm under the impression God's a merciful God, God's a righteous judge, but if they would have asked for forgiveness and turned from their wicked ways, just as Nineveh did, God wouldn't have saved them. But we see that they didn't. So it brings me to the application. What does pride bring us? Well, first off, the Bible says pride brings destruction. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride brings us shame. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. With the lowly is wisdom. It brings a narrow mindset. Proverbs 5. And say how I have hated instruction and my heart despised reproof. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers. Nor inclined my ear to them that instructed me. When I was in school we'd have kids who'd get some idea of church ministry, church philosophy, theology, whatever it is. They'd get this idea that they know better than the people in charge of them. I went to school. You'll see Dr. Shetler in a couple weeks. He has 40-plus years of experience in ministry. Most of our teachers were that way. It would pain my dad if some 18-year-old who's not done a whole lot in church comes up to him and says, you need to run church this way. My dad's been in ministry for over, over 30 years now. I think he knows a little bit about ministry. But you see, there's people that they let pride get in the way and they have a narrow mindset, the Bible says, but they also have a haughty set of eyes. Proverbs 6, these six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look. 
you realize that's the first on the list? You realize God doesn't put, it doesn't put homosexuality as the first on the list. It doesn't put murder at the first of the list. It doesn't put stealing. It doesn't put hatred. It puts a proud look. How many of us are, the problem with pride, and I was always told this, the problem with pride is the moment you think you overcome it is the moment you fell for it. The moment you think you beat pride, you just fall into it. The Bible says that the Lord hates it. It's a haughty set of eyes, but it brings strife as well. Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Put that in a church business meeting next time. Only by pride cometh contention. You see, when we start to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, we start to get defensive over what we believe or think. Kara's getting ready to go off to college her freshman year. I know she's excited we talk about it today, but you will see in the dorms that pride is in there a lot. And by pride cometh contention, especially in a dormitory setting where you're around a lot of people of the same age with different experience. People get together and they think I know better. I'm 24 years old. I went through five years of college. I don't know a lick of thing about math. When I go to work, I try not to. I, I, I'll let them do everything. I just put the money where it needs to go. It's the same way here. I can't come into work every day at the church and look at Wes and say, hey, you need to do this better. Or you need to do this differently. Wouldn't go very well. I don't know as much as Wes does. I might have different experiences than Wes, but Wes has a few years on me in ministry. You see, an improper view of ourselves leads to an improper view of who God is to us. You see, pride brings strife. Pride brings self-exaltation. Proverbs 25, 14, Whoso boasteth himself as a, of a false gift is like the clouds and wind without rain. Pointless. The moment you start boasting on yourself, the moment you start bragging on yourself, you have become pointless to God. You are no longer useful to God. It brings self-exaltation, but then it finally it brings self-destruction. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the wicked. You see, God will not let a Christian live in their pride. God has a unique way of humbling people in some of the worst ways. You see, when it comes to pride, God looks at it as you are exalting yourself above me. When we start to look at the things we can do and the success we have made and the things we've accomplished, we have taken that completely out of God's hands. We have taken the credit from God. So how do we overcome pride? Five things and we'll be done. Number one, you have to give God the credit for everything. You have to give God the credit for everything. There are things that I can do that someone else in here might not be able to do. There are things you can do that someone else can't be, might not be able to do. There are things that you might be really good at it. But you have to give God the credit for everything in your life. One of the best examples of that, Joe Camacho, who's not here tonight. If you talk to Joe and say, hey, Joe, you did a really good job on this house. Hey, Joe, man, you're a really good painter. You know what the first thing he's going to do is? Praise the Lord. 
It's not me, it's him. Those are two things I hear from Joe almost on a weekly basis. And it's not at all fake. It's as genuine as you can be. He gives God the credit for everything. Humility is glad that God gets the credit for choosing us so that we boast only in him and not ourselves. So give God the credit. Number two, recognize God's gifts. God has gifted each and every one of us with something special for this building, for something special for this community. God's given each and every one of us a gift. And pride is saying, I can do this. Humility is saying, God's chosen me to do this. God's given me the gifts. I'm going to use that to serve him. Romans 12, verse 1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's what God desires from us. So recognize God's gift. Humility happily admits that everything we have is a free gift from God, so we can't boast in it no matter how distinctive it is. No matter how special it is, we cannot boast in our own gifts. And number three, depend on God's providence. Humility is glad to affirm that God sovereignly governs the heartbeat of our life and all of our safe arrivals or non-arrivals. You see, God's equipped each and every one of us to serve him. God's given us the ability to serve him. And when we decide that we no longer want to do that, we are neglecting God's will for us and we are letting pride get in our lives. James has one of the best verses on pride. God resisteth the proud. Had a teacher put it this way, and I think I did it one time, and I I don't know if I hurt the kid or not, but I brought up a kid, and I said, when God said he resisteth the proud, he pushes them away. He can't be next to them. You've heard they got a big head. They've got too big of a head for God to use. You see, the moment you think yourself too big is the moment you become too small for God to use. So you have to depend on God's providence. Number four, you have to serve others. Humility gives itself away in serving everyone rather than seeking to be served. It might be involving cleaning a toilet every once in a while. It might involve riding a quam bus once in a while. It might involve helping out with something that might not get you any kind of recognition. But God's called each of us to serve in some form or fashion in the church. God's called each and every one of us to serve everyone that we come across. And it might require you to humble yourself and do something you don't like to do. But God will bless it every time. Pastor West taught on Peter this morning and talked about him throwing out the boat. Peter could have let pride get in the way and said, hey, I know, I know more than this guy. I've been doing this my whole life. This guy's some carpenter's son. He doesn't know what he's doing. He comes here and teaches. I know more about this. I've been fishing all night, and I've not seen a thing. But Peter didn't. Peter instead said, you know what? And there's a little bit of sarcasm, I feel like, in Peter's statement. Nevertheless, I'll let it down. And he let down the net, and God used it tremendously. You see, God might be waiting to get a hold of one of you by giving you a task that you think is menial or unimportant. But until you accomplish that task, God's not going to give you the glory you want. So you have to serve others. And finally, you have to realize greatness comes through humility. Humility is glad to affirm that service is true greatness. The Bible says, and Jesus, I believe, taught, he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. 
the greatest person in the kingdom of God will be the person that serves the most. When I was at school, we had a guy who was in charge of all of our grounds. Um, his name's EJ Johnson. It's Edward Johnson. Everyone just calls him EJ. EJ's a big guy. He lo looks a lot like my Uncle Ken who was here last week. There's not a thing EJ is afraid of doing. But he never wants to get up in front of somebody. I remember talking to him one time. We were setting up chairs, and it's hot in California. I mean, it was probably 110 degrees. We were setting up chairs out on a field for a camp we were doing. And we were talking. I said, how long have you been doing this? And he's been doing it for over 20 years. Every day he comes to work to work. He works hard. He cleans every building. He maintains every building. He sets up for things. He changes the venues. He'll take a room like this and collapse it, put tables up. A lot of what Mr. Tom does. And he says, God's called me to do this, not get up and preach. So I'm going to do it with the best of my abilities. You see, you might be here and you might think, you know, God's, God's not given me the gift to teach, but he might have given you the gift to encourage someone. You know, I can't, I can't get up there like Pastor Wes and sing, but God might have called you to help with kids, and you might be good with kids. You know, I, I can't do that public thing, but God has a role for each and every one of us. And neglecting it is putting our own self-interest above what God has for us. You see, the moment you decide that my self-comfort, my comfort, my desires are more important, it's the moment God can't use you anymore. So let's go out this week. Let's take the nation of Edom, this nation that at one time was great, but when they let pride seek into their life, when they let pride come into their life, when they decided to fall to this area of pride, they were extinct in just a few years. It's hard to find remnants of the nation of Edom anymore. There's no such thing. An entire people group wiped from existence because they thought they were more important than God. So go out this week having a proper view of who you are. And that's a servant to God Almighty. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. Lord, as we look at, as we look at this nation of Edom, as we looked at your servant Obadiah, Lord, I pray that everyone remembers that only by pride cometh contention, Lord. Pray if there's someone here that is struggling with this area of pride that they're able to get rid of it tonight. They can give you the credit. They can recognize your gift, depend on your providence, serve others, and realize that greatness comes from God. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray.